This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's, it's about grit. It's about wanting to win. Um, the rest of the season, that, that stuff, that stuff's in the past. All we have now is Purdue this week, and we have to make the most of it. And uh, our guys are going to come out with with fire and intensity this week to get it done. Um, and that's that's what culture is. That's what the desire to win is. And, and we're going to come with that type of attitude uh, this week because we have to. That's Nebraska quarterback Adrian Martinez coming off what might have been one of his better all-around performances since 2018. He's talking about what I think is a pretty interesting spot for Nebraska this week. It played well in a loss yet again. In a lot of ways, it was the same old story. And now it's headed for a cold day in Indiana against a Purdue team that's lost three straight. If the motivation came a little bit ready-made coming off a really bad loss to Illinois, you don't have that this week necessarily. How does Nebraska deal with success? Does it have the grit necessary to practice the way it did a week ago in preparation for Iowa? We're about to find out. This is the I-80 Preview Podcast. I'm Hale Varsity Managing Editor Brandon Vogel. Let's talk some football. We'll kick off the first half here with a not-quite-live update from the desert. Circus Sports opened this game at Purdue minus one. It was bet up almost immediately there to Boilermakers minus two. That doesn't take as much action as you think. Part of the reason for being out first with these lines is to get that early action, but the limits are pretty low. It's not like some sharp better has to come in and drop $5,000 to move the line that much. They're, they're really reactive at that early stage. And then most of the other sports books come out with their lines and, and basically copy it based on, on what circus sports and, and other, other market making lines. It's not the only one out there. It's just the one that's easiest to find and track. Uh, See what see what's happening in those other markets and and start from there. So at most places, this game opened at Purdue minus two, and it, it's pretty much settled there. You can figure even in this stranger than strange year for football, well for everything else too, you can figure about two points for home field advantage alone. Uh, so factor that in, apply it to the line, and and this thing's looking pretty close to a toss up. SP Plus, one of ESPN's power rankings, uh, agrees on that front. Nebraska jumped by three points in its SP Plus rating last week to 5.8. That's 42nd nationally. That's because it played well against a good Iowa team, an Iowa team that was in the top 15 in those same rankings last week. I think I, I think that's entirely justified. Um, a lot of people see, well, they lost. Why did they move up? It's because it's not a resume ranking, which we talk about often. It's, it's, it's about how well you play. Nebraska had an edge in success rate, explosive plays, rush yards per play, pass yards per play, and points per trip against Iowa. You do that, and, and you, 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 you can win a lot of games by doing, by doing those things. Those are big-time categories, and Nebraska won a lot of them. Still lost, unfortunately. Bill Connolly, who created SP+, uh, has this other stat that I really like each week. It's called post-game win expectancy. It's basically where you you take all the stats from the game and say, okay, if you do all of these things, how often do you win? 
post-game win expectancy for Iowa last week was just 16%. <laughs> it's it. there's, there's a handful of these for Nebraska since, since 2018. Well, it's becoming more than a handful where the win expectancies after the game are entirely out of whack, and that's obviously a battle Nebraska is still trying to fight. Purdue sits at 49th in SP+. Its rating's 4.8. So that rating system is saying Nebraska is about one point better than Purdue. But again, you, you, you give the Boilermakers two points for home field advantage, basically. And you get an SP plus line of, of Purdue minus one. FPI has it flipped a, a little bit. Uh, Purdue's rating's 4.7 is 47th nationally and Nebraska's is 3.6 56th in F- FPI. So FPI has produces a line of, of boilers minus three uh, or thereabouts. Again, two points for home field advantage is, is really the difference here. But no matter how you cut it, no matter where you look, you're looking at a pretty even game. And on paper, the, the statistics back that up. Jump in here with, with players to watch both ways. Uh, which which gets pretty interesting in a game that looks to be as as even as this one. I'm going to start for Purdue with with quarterback Jack Plummer. Uh, he didn't win that quarterback battle in the offseason. Aiden O'Connell did, uh, but he's been dealing with with an injury. He didn't suit up last week against Rutgers. At the time of this recording, there was still no update on him. But I'd be a little bit surprised if he goes. Um, Jeff Brom said he he's he's in a situation where he's looking at offseason surgery if he doesn't just do it now, which kind of tells you the seriousness of of the injury. He's he's looking at it. He's looking at he he could play. Is this the type of year where you force things, particularly with Purdue sitting at two and three with three straight losses? Probably not. So the Boilermakers will will most likely have Jack Plummer behind center. And that's not a bad spot to be for them either. Uh, he's, he's completing 71% over two games this year, but that was a game where he was really good, really good against Minnesota, up over 80% completion, but was 57% last week against Rutgers. He's thrown five touchdowns to two interceptions. And I think the, the underrated part of it, he, he's not the guy that you design runs for, but he's, he's a good and effective scrambler. He can, he can hurt teams that way. Uh, and Eric Shenander made, made mention of that Nebraska's defensive coordinator, uh, this week, Nebraska will have to, can, can it disrupt him? Can it put some pressure on Plummer? Uh, can it contain him when maybe it gets some of that pressure and then plays spill out? Because as, as we'll see, and I think as everyone knows coming in, Purdue's got two really, really good offensive playmakers, uh, that you have to account for and getting into a little bit of open play on broken plays can be problematic if if the ball finds either of those guys. Second, we'll we'll flip to defense for for the Boilermakers. I'm going to highlight linebacker Demarcus Mitchell uh, in sort of classic Bob Diaco fashion. This Purdue defense isn't a high havoc rate team. Uh, but, but Mitchell is maybe the best defensive playmaker they have available right now. That's because defensive lineman George Karloftis is, he was injured earlier in the year with, with a high ankle sprain, kind of fought back from that only to test positive for COVID. So he's still in the protocol there and out for 21 days. Purdue could get him back for that crossover week. 
but that's the earliest. Um, so, so Mitchell kind of becomes the guy on that, that second level of, of the Boilermakers defense. He's got six tackles for loss, a pass breakup, and a forced fumble this year. Um, the, Purdue's struggled to to generate a pass rush. And again, we'll get into a little bit of the Diakonis of uh, this defense in the, in the second half. So not a total surprise, but point is without Carl Loftus, Purdue is basically having to dial up pressures to, to kind of force the issue at quarterback. Did okay with that against Rutgers, but they're just a little bit reticent to do it. Mitchell is probably the guy you'll see most often in the Husker backfield. However, uh, when Purdue's able to do that. Third on the list, and again, for what seems like the, well, we've done seven of these episodes, so it might be five straight weeks or so. I'm going to cheat. But I, you, you can't talk about Purdue without talking about their two star wide receivers, Rondale Moore and David Bell. Probably don't need to belabor the point with either of them. Everyone is is well aware of, of what those guys are capable of. I think the real key here is that Jeff Brom, as a head coach, and he, he mentioned it in his Monday press conference, he mentioned it probably four or five times uh, just in answering questions from, from the Purdue media about getting the ball to his playmakers. And, and Purdue does an excellent job of that. Together, Moore and Bell are averaging nearly 20 catches a game. It, it's, it, it takes some creativity. Um, to, to be able to get them the ball that often when everyone enters every game knowing that you have to slow those two down. But that's that's kind of kind of the genius of, of what Purdue's been able to do defensively. Uh, and Nebraska will have to have an answer for that. Accordingly, my, my three players to watch for Nebraska represent what I think could be part of the answer to, to dealing with, with Moore and Bell. Uh, number one is outside linebacker Jojo Doman, uh, though calling him an outside linebacker probably doesn't. Well, it definitely doesn't cover everything that that he does. Last week, Rutgers and, you know, and Greg Schiano is a good a good defensive coach. Rutgers played a lot of cover two, two high safety uh, and, and devoted basically it's it's nickel back to more wherever he was at on the field. I don't know if Nebraska is going to do the same thing, but if they try some of that. Doman is likely the guy and it's, it's a tough assignment. It's a tough assignment for anybody, but it's also a big opportunity for him. Um, we know that he's a playmaker. He's kind of all over the field. He's super versatile. Uh, he leads Nebraska with five tackles for loss and also leads them with three pass breakups, which is probably the best way to kind of encapsulate what he's capable of just as an athlete and a defensive football player. So if he plays well on Saturday, that's probably a pretty good sign for the Huskers. I'm going to stick in the secondary for number two and go with safety Markel Dismuke, though you could also put Deontay Williams in here just as easily. I go with Dismuke because he's more of Nebraska's down-in-the-box safety. Purdue's run game you have to account for it. Um, Horvath is kind of their their big back and a tough runner. Um, but just with a threat of Moore and Bell on every play, Dismuke's going to have to be pretty good. More specifically, he's going to have to be disciplined. And, and with both of Nebraska's safeties, we've seen at times they, they, they tend to, they like the splash play, they like to hit, they like to come up hard. 
this will be a tough game for that. Um, Purdue has every sort of play action, every sort of motion and formation that you could want to, to mess with defenders' eyes. So they're going to put that challenge to Nebraska. Moore gets the ball. I mean, they use more to to spread the field horizontally and vertically. But then you've also got Bell, who can stretch the field. Purdue has a really good tight end. That That's a problem. So there's just a lot of ways this offense can hurt you if you don't stay disciplined. Last on the list, uh, couldn't really go anywhere else, I don't think, in trying to get an offensive player in here at the moment. Uh, center Cam Jurgens few more costly wayward snaps last week that that really hurt Nebraska uh, have made him sorry to do this the the center of attention this week seemingly everyone thinks and you needs to try something else anything else to correct that that snap issue Frost disagrees his his direct quote this week when asked about that he's too good a, a player not to have on the field he's too good of a player to even consider moving him out of that role or moving him somewhere else agree or disagree with the sentiment that's from the head coach. So Cam Jurgens is going to be your center when Nebraska takes the field on Saturday. And as far as the snaps go, it, it, it needs to be better. We saw last year when, when the Huskers went to West Lafayette, just how much some small mistakes hurt the Huskers in a, in a close game. And, and really that's the story of Nebraska football for the past two and a half seasons. Those, those small mistakes that really tarnish what in a lot of cases are otherwise good performances. And last week at Iowa was, was kind of another one of those. So Nebraska's still fighting that battle. Here's another chance to, to go out and make some progress. That'll take us to halftime. Here's Rusty Dawkins with Saturday's weather forecast for West Lafayette. It could be an important weather forecast. We'll uh, we'll see if that's going to have an impact on the game. This is meteorologist Rusty Dawkins with Hale Varsity for the I-80 Preview Podcast. The forecast for Purdue, which is in West Lafayette, Indiana, on December 5th on Saturday, is going to be pretty normal for this time of year. It is the early December, so it can get cold, it can get snowy, but it doesn't look like we're going to see really either of those. A little on the chilly side, sure. Uh, but what we're looking at is a pretty close to normal forecast forecast for this time of year. Now, there is going to be a low-pressure system that's going to be kind of pushing its way south of Indiana late Friday. So as that makes its way east uh, on the other side of Indiana, we could see some wraparound moisture. Now, what does that mean? That means there's some air filtering in behind this low-pressure system. And sometimes if there's uh, any moisture wrapped in there, we could see a few flakes or a few raindrops. And that's the case on Saturday. It's a small chance, only about a 20% chance. But still, uh, we could see a little bit of light precipitation. But I think most of the day on Saturday will be mostly cloudy and a little cool with uh, temperatures in the upper 30s and lower 40s. So here's your hour-by-hour forecast at kickoff, which is at 11 a.m. again. Mostly cloudy skies, uh, just a 20% chance at a shower, uh, whether it be a rain uh, rain shower or snowflake or two, won't amount to much. Temperatures in the middle 30s uh, by kickoff in that northwest wind at 5 to 15 miles per hour. So not much of a wind uh, to be a factor as well. Then by halftime, 
Mostly cloudy skies, again, with just that small chance at a little mixed precipitation. Uh, I, th I think if we see anything, it would just be a raindrop or two because the temperatures will be right around 40 degrees, so warm enough for liquid precipitation and that light northwest wind sticking around. And by the end of the game, fourth quarter, still mostly cloudy skies and those temperatures not much warmer, I think just in the lower 40s. But again, that's pretty typical for this time of year in that northwest wind at 5 to 15 miles per hour. We'll have updates on hailvarsity.com, and you can always check on my Twitter uh, handles which are rusty wx and husker weather so as you surely know at this point as a nebraska fan presumably if you're listening to this bob diaco is back in your life for another saturday the former nebraska defensive coordinator had a had a bit of a career reclamation at, at louisiana tech and spun that into the defensive coordinator job with purdue uh this is his, his first season with the boilermakers and given Nebraska's experience with, with Diaco in, in 2017, everybody's been getting their jokes in, uh, which is fine there. A lot of them are funny, but I've been a little bit surprised by how quickly Purdue's defense is getting dismissed this week. It's not great. Um, it is not Northwestern or Iowa or Wisconsin by any means, though really the, the Diaco style is, is meant to, to do what some of those those defenses do, uh, but statistically speaking, with defense, here's here's the thing because I I, I keep seeing people say uh, locally in in the Nebraska market that this this defense isn't very good. It's it's the weakness, and and that's it's true compared to the offense. It is it is not as strong. But if you think Nebraska's defense has made some strides this year, if you're been kind of cautiously optimistic, occasionally impressed by by the black shirts. Just know that Purdue's defense is statistically very similar. In fact, it's probably a little bit better. Um, the, the Boilermakers have an edge in success rate and explosive plays, which are two stats that are way more important to me than, than any yardage-based stats. They're also giving up I think four fewer points per game than Nebraska's defense is. So it's, it's, it's kind of be careful, be careful what you say there. Uh, it can be tempting to, uh, to not give Bob Diaco the, the benefit of the doubt, but Purdue's done some, some good things defensively. It's not consistent enough. And really you could say the same thing about, about Nebraska. Let's get into what the Huskers need to do to, to win this game. Uh, go with the same three-part plan here. Number one on the list, Nebraska's defense needs to win on passing downs. That's when a defense is expected to win. And that's been, been a bit of an issue all year for the Huskers, but Purdue makes most of its hay through the air. And with, with play playmakers like it has at receiver, there's just kind of no way around it in this one in my mind. 13 of the last 15 teams to beat Purdue since 2018 have held it below 30% success rate on passing downs. Now, key part there is passing downs are just describing the situation. It doesn't mean what actually happened on the play. You could run on a passing down. What it is saying is that this is when the defense has the advantage. It has an offense behind the chains. So anything that's second and seven or longer or third and fourth and five or longer is considered a passing down. 
So a 30% success rate on passing downs is kind of the, the threshold to shoot here, shoot for here. The, the number that has beaten Purdue most often over the past two and a half seasons. Where are these teams at coming in? Purdue's averaging a 32.3% success rate on passing downs this season, which is a little better than average. Uh, you know, we talked about how defense has an advantage. That's why the national average for success rate is just 31%. Defenses have an idea that offenses are likely to throw the ball, and you see that reflected in in how often the the offense, quote-unquote, wins that down. So Nebraska defensively would like to take Purdue down about two or three percentage points. Does that, uh, it should have a pretty good shot to to slow down this this Purdue offense at least a, a little bit. Issue is uh, Nebraska's defense is currently giving up a success rate on passing downs of 39.6%, which ranks 123rd. It's It's been an, an enormous struggle. It's a little bit hard to figure given the experience Nebraska had returning in the secondary, though, though defending the pass isn't solely the, the responsibility of the secondary. Like I, I expected them to be better in this category at this point. Um, it's frustrating too. If you're, if you're a coach, because like, you know, the odds are odds are in your favor and Nebraska is giving up almost a, a 40% success rate, which is pretty close to, to the national average of, of 42 on all plays. So that's that's been a problem. It's it's an area where Nebraska needs to to flip the script a little bit. I think particularly in this game, given Purdue's strength throwing the ball. Now there have been two two relative successes here for the Huskers uh, in terms of passing down success rate. It held Penn State to to thirty three percent, which of course resulted in the only win of the season. And then last week against Iowa, uh, held the Hawkeyes to 24%. So they've, they've shown the ability to, well, in one case, def- get far below that 30% threshold uh, and get pretty close to it in, in Penn State. If you want to focus on passing plays themselves, the, t- the time that an offense actually puts the, the ball in the air, the threshold there's a little bit higher uh, because you're talking about you know some of those passing plays happen on standard downs when when the ex- expected success rate is is also higher. Um, probably looking at a target of about forty percent for for the Huskers defense. Eleven of the last twelve teams to keep Purdue below that have also won. Uh, Nebraska. <laughs> Again, they're going to have to play against type a little bit because they enter the game giving up a 51% success rate on passing plays, which is 122nd nationally. It is it's has not been good for Nebraska when teams have put the ball in the air or have been expected to put the ball in the air. Uh, so that's got to change because this this Purdue passing game is is one of the best probably Nebraska has seen since since Ohio State when you talk about just completion percentage efficiency and the kind of big play talent the Boilermakers have available. Flip to offense for point number two here. Um, and it's kind of the, the other side of the coin to what we just talked about. Nebraska's offense needs to win on standard downs when it has been. So if we're going to ask the defense to do something, it hasn't shown the ability to do consistently. Uh, the question for the offense is, is can it continue doing something it's been really good at? Um, 
so that's that's a pretty good place to be in, I think, for Nebraska as it, as it goes into this game. For the offense this year, it's been a struggle overall. Um, it's a little bit surprising given where the Huskers finished 2018. Perhaps not as surprising uh, based on where they finished 2019. But you were hoping to see progress with the amount of returning experience, uh, well, returning production more accurately, Nebraska had coming back. It's it, it's tough to not see the offense further ahead, but right now it's it's still too reliant on quarterback run. It's even more reliant on that than it was a week ago. And yes, some of that has to do with injuries at running back, and that that's still a little bit uncertain. Mills is at the time of this recording unclear if he was going to be available. Ronald Tompkins hasn't been available. Marvin Scott the third had to leave the Iowa game, but it sounds like he will be available. At least that's what it sounds like as of as of midweek. So, and, and some of this, you know, too, is the offensive line play hasn't been as good as you would have expected from Nebraska with the experience it had coming back. Uh, so they've they've relied on Adrian Martinez and Luke Luke McCaffrey to really produce a, a lot of what Nebraska's been able to get via the run game. Wandale Robinson contributes there as well. But when you have a wide receiver core that on paper or or on the field, I'm not sure scares a, a ton of Big Ten defenses, it can get to be a struggle. It hasn't been a struggle, however, as long as the Huskers remain on schedule. Um, the best thing about this offense so far has been its efficiency while it is ahead of the change, the Huskers ranked ninth nationally in success rate on standard downs with 55.4%. That means they're winning 55.4% of the downs it plays against a defense when it's first down, when it's second and short, when it's third and short. It's a, the Huskers right now are a little like a baseball team that has to manufacture runs. As long as they can play station to station, they can move the ball at a top 10 level nationally. And now that's going to be true for a lot of offenses. Like if you stay on schedule, it's just easier. Um, that's, that's why I spend so much time each week focusing on success rate, probably wears some people out to be honest, but it's, it's really the most important stat I think that there is, um, with Nebraska, it's, it's really, really exaggerated this year. Uh, think of the, the second half drive, against Iowa when the Huskers went down and scored a touchdown. That was an eight-play drive. All eight plays were standard downs. Six out of eight of them were successful by the the success rate thresholds. And you saw that when the Huskers are consistently gaining yards, even if they're two, three, four-yard gains, which on a first down is enough to keep you in in a standard down for second down, uh, you can really use tempo as a weapon. And this is going to be, I think, super important this week because to go back to our old friend Bob Diaco, um, we know his defense is really focused on preventing big plays. They want to keep everything in front. They want to be, and you know, Northwestern Iowa and Wisconsin are all much more accomplished at this because they've been doing it for years and years and years. They want to keep everything in front of them. Um, a Diaco defense, and this was true during his, you know, with his really good defenses at, at Notre Dame, uh, which really shut people down. They're not going to spend a ton of time in, in the opponent's backfield. They rank 102nd right now in, in havoc rate, which is tackles for loss 
plus passes defended, plus forced fumbles. Uh, they're last in the Big Ten in sacks and ninth in tackles for loss. This is, I think, potentially a good thing for Nebraska because from what we've seen from the Huskers so far, they're capable of moving the ball within what Purdue tries to take away. The Huskers aren't hitting a ton of big plays anyway. Um, you, you'll take them if you can get them. You always want them. Um, but for Nebraska so far, it's been much more of a steady progression. The problem with that, as we've seen, is any small penalty, much less a big one, like like the holding penalty that negated a 30-yard Adrian Martinez scramble last week. Um, but even those those false starts, the the annoying stuff, the lined up in the neutral zone, whatever it may be, can knock Nebraska off of those standard downs. And, and then they really struggle. Um, if Nebraska just gets to its season average, however, on standard downs, which is, which is 55%, uh, it, it, it should have a great shot to win on Saturday. Six of the last teams to do that against Penn State have won. It's a high threshold. It's so high that I wouldn't mention it most of the time. But with where, with where Nebraska is at entering this game, I think it's, it's, it's pretty realistic. Now, it, it gets a little bit interesting, too. Purdue hasn't been great defensively on passing downs. Uh, the Boilermakers rank 97th in success rate there. Boilermakers defense, that is. Uh, but Nebraska's offense has been worse. They rank 119th. So it wouldn't surprise me if the Huskers had a little more success uh, through the air than they have so far this season, but not to the degree where I look at this as, oh, Nebraska has to take advantage of that, or Nebraska has a chance to really exploit it just because that's that's not what they've shown the ability to to do consistently yet. Um, Bob Diaco likes to, to put the chess pieces out on the board, um, and come up with kind of the, the perfect openings, the perfect, uh, defenses and let teams try to try to work around that. Nebraska has been an offense so far that can work around some things. It can't work around getting off schedule, at least not often enough to, to win more games than it has. So this will this will be an interesting one. Um, you want a pretty good example of working within what Purdue's willing to live with. Uh, look back to the Rutgers game last week, Scarlet Knights. So that game, I don't know if I've I, I look at box scores a lot. Um, I don't know if I can recall a game where this happened. But you, you want to talk about how even that game was overall? Uh, Purdue was minus one one first down compared to what Rutgers had minus one yard in rushing and plus one yard in passing. It, it was virtually identical um, in, in three categories that can tell you something about a game. Rutgers got a 100 yard kickoff return for a touchdown, uh, which was, which was a pretty big play, but the defining feature, I guess the thing I'll remember from that game is that in the fourth quarter, uh, Rutgers had the ball for 13 minutes. They just stayed on the field, like, and and for a defense that you know is not having a ton of success and getting pressure, um, isn't a high havoc rate team anyway. If you can just take those those four yards, um, let Purdue tackle well, let it do the things that it thinks are important defensively. Um, as long as you just kind of move it consistently, you can do things like that and. 
Nebraska has shown the ability to do that some this season. Final key to the game after some intense discussions of success rate and standard downs and passing downs and all of that stuff that I tend to be buried in week to week. Uh, this one's going to be pretty simple score in the fourth quarter. If that seems like a dumb key to the game, well, Nebraska has nine points in fourth quarters this season. Purdue's also been outscored in, in the final 15 minutes, but just by 29 to, to 24. Uh, the, the lack of a finishing kick for, for the Huskers this season is, is a bit of a surprise. It wasn't really an issue in 2019. Like Nebraska wasn't dominating teams in the fourth quarter, but it was, it was normal. Like the point distribution was, was pretty much across the board. 2018, uh, closing out games with, with strong fourth quarters uh, was, was kind of a strength, though some of that had to do with, if you think back to that 2018 year, Nebraska tended to fall behind early uh, that, that first Scott Frost year and then would had a penchant for furiously rallying to, to make some games close over the first half of the season and then eventually win some over the second half. But this game, you know, we talked about here at the start, how close it looks on paper, how close the the experts and the power rankings have this one. And I, I would be honestly surprised if it didn't play out that way. Games can always get weird. You get some weird special team stuff, a handful of turnovers early on that, that favor one team or the other. And yeah, things could things could turn into, you know, a pretty comfortable win for for either team, I think, in this one. But the most likely scenario is that this is a down to the wire type of game. So far through since 2018, Frost is four and eleven in in one score games, which is a a, a stat that gets frequently cited, and, and it probably should. Um, it's it's one of the defining features uh, of this tenure so far. Jeff Brom, who who took Purdue to bowl games in his first two years and then fell to, to four and eight is just six and 11 in, in one score games. Uh, and that includes one, one score win over Nebraska, which, which happened in 2019, uh, since that game. So since 2019, Nebraska, Purdue, the Boilermakers have been in a one score game in eight of their last nine. And that includes all five this year. So it's a team that has, has played down to the wire with everybody. And in some cases that's good. It, it beat what, we know now is is a pretty darn good Iowa team. That way, it, it lost to Rutgers by seven, uh, a team it was favored by double digits over. So I would be surprised if we aren't in a fourth quarter battle in this one. I expect it to be, unless the weather changes this and with, with the chance of, it's going to be cold, but with the chance of some precipitation possibly, um, that could factor in. But I, I still kind of look at this as as a back-and-forth affair, potentially high-scoring. Uh, the two teams went punch-for-punch punch in, in the fourth quarter last year, but Purdue got the last punch in. And I wouldn't be surprised if it came down to that again in 2020 as both of these teams look to, I don't know if finish strong is, is the, the right word with just two games remaining for each of them, but do what they can. It kind of goes back to the Adrian Martinez quote at the start, you know, 
Nebraska is where it is to this point. All you can change is, is what's to come. And, and both teams have a pretty, should have a pretty ample motivation to do that for Nebraska. It, it's not the Iowa game. It's not the Iowa game coming off a, a really horrific loss to, to Illinois where the motivation is sort of ready-made. Nebraska might have to manufacture it a little bit, and, and it's why this game I think is a pretty good test of, of where the Huskers are at this moment in, in 2020. They need some success to, to close out the year and offer a little bit of, of momentum, however much of that's available, uh, as you turn the page towards 2021. Not quite time for that yet, though. Um, that'll wrap the show for this week. Thank you, as, as always, for listening. If you have any feedback, you can email the show at i80 at hailvarsity.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Brandon L. Vogel. It'll be, I'll be in West Lafayette this weekend, um, so I'll have some on-the-ground updates. Uh, my, my Twitter feed won't be quite as boring as it is. Uh, in a pandemic week where I've spending all of my time basically since March at home. Um, but such is the case for, for most of us, uh, it'll be good to get some, to see some football in person. Um, so I'll be there covering the game for, for hailvarsity.com. You can find all of our, our updates there. Um, subscribe to the show. If you haven't already, give it a rating. If you haven't already, those things are, are super helpful. And thank you. Thanks again for listening. A Hoda Media Production.